Okay, 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 okay. So uh, head back to your to your Bibles in the book of uh, Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 36, and that's where we get introduced to Hezekiah. Uh, for those of you that weren't here last time, we kind of, we sort of started the the story. This is um, so there, there's three main sections in the book of Isaiah. We finished the first section. Then there's this little narrative portion in chapters 36 to 39 with Hezekiah, and then we launch into chapter 40, which is the second part of the book. And uh, I know some of your favorite verses are in chapter 40 and in chapter 53, so th- those are coming. But before we get there, we have to read about Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is somewhat of a bridge between the first section of the book and the second section of the book, because the whole first part of the book has largely been about what? Like, what's, what's the main thing we've seen in the first part of the book? Yeah, judgment is coming. Why is judgment coming? What's that? They've turned away from God. And not just the people, but, but who else are guilty of that? The leaders. Yeah, the, the priests, the kings, the elders. And, um, and you know, if you're reading your Bible through the year, or you've, you've gone through uh, Kings and Chronicles, that uh, there's a reason that there's such a... Uh, <laughs> A slump of sorts as you read about the kings and chronicles. You know, king blah, blah, blah came to power when he was 15 or when he was 25 and he did evil in the sight of the Lord and he reigned for this many years and then he died and then his son so-and-so took over and he did evil. You read that, you're like, okay, I'm just going to kind of skip through the Bible reading plan here, you know, just kind of move ahead. And But there, there's a purpose in that. And the purpose is to demonstrate historically just how bad the situation was. I mean, it, it was it was not that long ago that we have the this awesome deliverance uh, from the Egyptians in the land of Egypt, and it was not that long ago that we had guys like uh, Gideon and Samson and Samuel, and where God was clearly at work. Now they weren't always obedient, were they? But God's hand was clearly there. Uh, it wasn't that long. Um, that uh, that King David slayed Goliath, and this is the man after God's own heart. And and yet we saw even in his ministry, and I think David Gibson expanded on this last week, that uh, you know he was not by no means a perfect leader, and and fell into sin, especially in the latter half of his ministry. And and Solomon, um, under whose uh, on whose clock the kingdom was divided. Um, from his son and and so you're supposed to read that and go how long is this going to happen when are these guys going to get it together and that's that's the point is that humanity even those blessed by god even those given the law of god even those given miraculous signs and deliverances are still we are still utterly sinful and that's why we need a savior and isaiah is just drilling that down um, even as we see God disciplining his own people. So why do we need Hezekiah? Because all this, you know, there's a deliverer, right? right? The, the, the servant's going to come. There is a future Messiah that's going to come. So we're, we're not totally depressed over this thing because we know God's still at the wheel of, of history and things are going to be okay. But we get to this little section in Hezekiah and we finally read about somebody who's going to take all this seriously. And uh, no, there's a footnote to that. We'll see the footnote today. But um, 
So that's where we've been. Uh, chapter 36, verse 1. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. And, you, and those of you, I just have to review this real quick, because if you missed this last time, a lot has happened between the last historical things we've read in Isaiah chapter 1 through 35 and what just happens in 36 verse 1. So let's just remember that. The book of Isaiah covers the time period of four kings of Judah, right? Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is the last king that will be in power as Isaiah is writing. Okay, And you'll also remember that the book of Isaiah is a prophecy that occurs alongside of history that's going on, right? So Isaiah's out there and he's preaching and he's prophesying, but we've got these other books in our Bible that actually give us the historical account of what's going on. So if you need a refresher on that, 2 Kings 14 to 20, 2 Chronicles 26 to 32, give us the historical background. That, that's the, the storyline and then Isaiah is prophesying into that time of history. Okay, now remember all the things that Hezekiah did, and this, this leads up to Isaiah 36 1, that verse we just read. What has Isaiah done, or Hezekiah done? Hezekiah has recommissioned the Levites. He's had them go through the old uh, uh, ceremonies that Moses prescribed from God on the cleansing of the Levites and the preparation for them for ministry. He's redone the temple, cleansed the temple, put the furniture back in there, gotten rid of all the uh, defilements. Do, do you guys remember, what did Ahaz do to the temple? Do you remember? Yeah, he brought in the idols. Remember he went up, and when he was uh, having the alliance talk with Assyria and to appease him, he, he scratched out the blueprint of their favorite God and then he went home and made one and, and stuck it in the temple. So Hezekiah said, we're not doing that anymore. And so cleanses the temple, re, re, reinstates Passover. He goes throughout the land. And, and, and this, is, this is one of the things, if you've read Kings and Chronicles, you know, you'll, and so and so was a good king, and he did what was right in the eyes of God, yet he did not do what? Destroy the high places. Now, remember, what are the high places? You think those are the things that are up? Yeah, I know, no. But the high places were literally the tops of mountains, and you remember this, this, this is an area that, that is rugged in that way. And um, they would build altars to pagan gods on these high places. And those were allowed to coexist in, in the sort of religious syncretism that was going on in this time in history with the worship of God in the temple. So you have lots of these kings that said, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna worship those gods anymore, but they allowed those altars to exist. And wh what do you think a lot of the people continue to do? They just keep right on using them, right? Because they're, they're struggling between trusting what God has said and looking around and going, ah, oh, there's an awful lot of Assyrians living around us. Maybe just a little bit of appeasement to their God is good life insurance. And Hezekiah says, no more. And he goes and he's one of the, one of the only kings in this era to go in and actually destroy the high places and tear down the gods of the Asheroth and, and whatnot. So, that's a really good thing. Now, the bot, we, we get the bottom line. I'll, you don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you just by way of review because we need to get this running start as we come to uh, Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 30, 36 here today. So uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 31, let me just read this to you. 
31 verse 20. Here is the bottom line for Mr. Hezekiah. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God and the law and the commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. We say, yes, finally, somebody who's taken this seriously, right? And uh, meanwhile, you know, back in the Assyrian Empire, you've got the son of the guy who had allied with Ahaz. His son's name is Sennacherib, and he's going, who does this new king think he is? He was loyal to my father. Who is this guy? And, and, and so Sennacherib comes against Judah with a vengeance. It's like, you don't destroy my gods. You don't destroy my high places. You don't violate my treaties because Hezekiah had broken away from all of those things. So here comes Mr. Sennacherib and he's in a rather foul mood. Okay. Verse two. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a large army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out. And Rabshakeh said to him, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. And, and for those of you that weren't here last time, remember, this great king owns New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Judah is this little dot that isn't even as big as the Metroplex. Okay, so that this is the great king, and, and you know that's why he's got a little chip on his shoulder here coming in here. Okay, now you say the king of uh, the great king, the king of Assyria says to Hezekiah, "What is this confidence that you have?" I say, "Your counsel and strength for the war are only empty words." Now, on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Verse 7, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now therefore come and make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses uh, if you're able to put riders on them. I mean, he's just mocking him. Um. And uh, so he continues to taunt, and, and this goes on for a while, and the, the, the Jewish guys on the wall say, um, can you talk in a language that the people don't understand? And so, Hezek, or, uh, so Sennacherib's uh, general comes back and says, in a louder voice, in the language that the people can all understand, and repeats the whole thing. You know, he's trying to drum up the people. And then Sennacherib's general says this in verse 20. And who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand, that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And about a hundred years later, a Babylonian king is going to say something to, to the three guys about to go into the fire. And what God can stop me? Right? And uh, as we saw last time, we have some artwork here. Uh, Sennacherib was really kind of stuck on himself. 
and a lot of the things that he built in his palaces are preserved. So these are actual carvings from the ruins. There he is. There's, you always want to know what Snackerb looks like. There it is. That's a carving from the wall that they excavated. There he is on his chariot, looking very powerful with, uh, what, all five of his soldiers there, whatever that is. Uh, so, but no, no, there's a, there's a lot that's been excavated. And remember I showed you, um, they found these structures that have uh, historic references written on them uh, from those excavations. So we actually have really good extra-biblical uh, historical information from this time in history. Okay, so he comes in. Uh, we'll skip that part here. There's those uh, those prisms that I mentioned. Some of you missed those last time. There's three of them that they found. Uh, they all basically say the same thing, but those are historic references uh, to Sennacherib. Interesting. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay, so what God is there that's going to stop me, right? Chapter 37, verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, entered the house of the Lord, and he goes and he pleads with God. He cries out to God in verse 14. He prays, he goes to God and uh, cries out to God for deliverance. It's interesting. Um, Bible stories love contrast, right? So I mentioned a while ago, you've got King Saul, good-looking, tall, athletic, uh, but what did he do? He walked away from the Lord, right? And then you've got the teenager, David, and he says to Goliath, you know, where does this guy get off? You can't, you can't mock my God like that and get away with it, right? So there's these character contrasts. One of the things we're supposed to see here, we've seen Ahaz, right? When, when the threat of Assyria came to Ahaz, what did he do? He went and sided with the enemy, didn't he? He got his his uh, planners together, his war coordinators, and said, oh, what should we do? And they said, you need, you need to go make an alliance. You need to go, right? What is Hezekiah's response? He turns to the Lord. He turns to the Lord first. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord. Hear, open your ears, O Lord, and see and listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Where is his focus? Even in praying. Is it, Lord, here comes Sennacherib, deliver us! What does he say first? He's insulting the Lord. You mark it that every godly man and woman in the Bible cares more about the reputation and honor of their God more than their safety more than their well-being, more than their health. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because if you arrive in that situation, we'd be like, uh, can you kill them, please? It's the same as David. You know, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who mocks the armies of the living God? He's like 15 when he says that. It's about your honor, your reputation. 
Verse 18, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries of their land. They have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men. Sounds interesting. Hezekiah sees right through it, right? They aren't real gods. They're not an insurance policy for our safety. They're wood and gold and graven images. There's no God but you. Verse 20, Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. What did Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah say as they were about to go into the fiery furnace when Nebuchadnezzar in one of his fits of rage says, and what God is there that can stop me? You remember what they said? You know what, Mr. King? We don't have to give you an answer. Our God is able to deliver us, and in fact, we're confident he will. But even if he doesn't, we just want you to know that he's really God and you're not. Right? It's the same message. Oh, that we would live for his honor and for his reputation and believing that of everything in this world that promises happiness and security, that it's all a lie, and he alone, he alone can help us, and he alone is God. Chapter 37, verse 21, Then the, Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And then we talked about this last time. Isaiah brings this prophecy against uh, Sennacherib. And uh, it's graphic. It's, uh, uh, it's violent. We'll just look at a couple of excerpts here. Uh, she has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes? Against the Holy One of Israel. Now, you, kn- you know your Bibles well enough to know when you hear that sort of language, it's not going to go well for you. When God shows up in his BDUs, look out. Through your servants, you have reproached the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon, and I cut down all its cedars and all its choices cypresses, and I will go to its highest peak, its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank water, and the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruin. What did Isaiah, in bringing the word of the Lord, just tell Sennacherib? Did you catch it? That everything he was accomplished, it was because God directed Yeah. You think you're so strong and you're so smart, but you're actually just fulfilling out the plan that I've had from eternity past. Verse 28, But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because of your raging... Now, do you see how it just got personal? It was all third person till here. Now it's like, 
now, now God is in Sennacherib's face here. Because of your raging against me, because your arrogance has come up to my ears. Hang on, guys. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. What's the proverb? The heart of the king is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. And he directs it wherever he wants to. It it doesn't matter if you're the king of the superpower of the 7th 7th century and you own all that real estate and you've conquered the whole thing. God says, two things, Mr. King. I want you to know, first of all, everything you've done was my plan. And I I can... Throw out my rod and reel and hook you and pull you in just as easy as I sent you out. This is is like bringing in a bass, he says. A stupid little fish. I'm going to reel you in. Do do you remember, again, there's so many parallels here to what's going to happen 100 years later with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, he's walking the walls, right? And he says, oh, is this not Babylon that I've created with my mighty hand and my riches and my... And you remember what God said? Actually, you're just doing what I've ordained for you to do. And if you're going to get a big hat about it, watch this. Right? And he sent him to be a cow for a season. That's a weird story. That's a weird story. But the point is, what? What does Nebuchadnezzar say when he's done? God is able to humble those who are proud in heart to see that he alone is the Lord. Okay, where are we here? Verse 30. Then this shall be the sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself. And he he gives some prophecies there. Verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return And he will not come to this city, declares the Lord, for, this is amazing. God says, I myself will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Why David? Oh, that's so important. Why does he bring David into this? What has Isaiah wanted all four of those kings to see this whole time? You remember? There's a promise. What's that? The promise of the remnant because of what? The Davidic covenant. That's right. The Davidic covenant given to David. That's why it's called the Davidic covenant. There we go. All right. Welcome to the advanced class, guys. The Davidic covenant given to David ensured that there would be a king and that he would prosper as that king feared the Lord. You can't lose. Isaiah has been telling these kings and they go off making treaties and horrible decisions and, and, and uh, propagating false worship. And, and here's someone who finally sees it, right? Hezekiah and God says, um, you know why I'm going to defend the city? Because I'm true to my promises and I'm true to my name. This is what we've been talking about the whole time. Now, <laughs> watch this. I got some pictures here for you. Verse 36, then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 
185,000 soldiers in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. I mean, can you imagine? You have the greatest army in the universe. You're coming against this little blip on the map that doesn't even amount to uh, uh, the DFW area. You've already conquered all of their fortified cities. There's one city left. It's called Jerusalem. You're sitting outside the wall. You got this huge army. You know, you're riling up the people. You know, we know how this goes, right? All those, uh, all those kings caved in the last time. You wake up in the mor- morning and everybody's dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. Um, the, the account in Second Kings and Chronicles said he went home in great shame. I mean, think of, think of what, you know, CNN headline news must have said that next day. You know, mightiest army, greatest king, most incredible nation in the world, thwarted. We don't know how. It's this one little city loyal to this hardly known God. Right? And it makes him look glorious. So Sennacherib goes home in shame. He goes back to Nineveh, the capital city. And it gets worse, guys. It came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrak, his god, Trying to figure out why all this happened. That Adramalek, not to be confused with Dramamine, but Adramalek, uh, kind of sounds like that. And uh, uh, Sherezer, his sons, killed him with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Can you imagine that? So that happens. You go home with your tail between your legs. You go back. You're worshiping and you're temple to your God, try to figure out what this happens, and your kids walk in and kill you. The end. (laughs) God puts an exclamation point on the end of this story to make clear you don't mess with Yahweh. And so we go, right, and they all lived happily ever after, right? Chapter 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And we go, what? This is the guy we've been waiting for for decades. He walks with God. He trusts you. He finally tears down the the high places. A great This is not how the... You're not supposed to get mortally ill in your 40s. Hezekiah is probably in his late 30s, early 40s at this time. You're not. You're, you're, you're supposed to go on to victory and live happily ever after, right? And unite, right? That's what's supposed to happen because that's what all the movies do. But isn't that like real life? Isn't it? Well, to understand what's going on, we've got to hold our place here. And go back to something that Isaiah doesn't mention directly, at least. Okay, he's going to mention something that helps us to see it. Turn back to Second Chronicles 32, verse 23. 
because the author of Chronicles gives us a little bit more detail about Mr. Hezekiah. And you can imagine after this great deliverance, right? I, I, I joked with you a moment ago, what, what, did, what did the CNN headline news look like, right? Well, I mean, they didn't have CNN obviously there, but you know, word gets around and, and this is, and so in Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 23, right? So, um, well, look at 22. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others and, and guided them on every side. Verse 23. Here's the missing verse that Isaiah doesn't tell us about. And many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and choice presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. Hmm. Everybody loves Hezekiah. He's got book offers. He's got, he's touring. You know, everybody wants to come talk to Hezekiah. Tell us the story. Tell us about this great deliverance, right? How could you thwart uh, Mr. Sennacherib and the great empire, right? And what happens here? He's exalted in the eyes of all the nations. You know, sometimes the, da- the most dangerous enemy of humanity is not a mighty enemy, but our own pride in our spiritual successes. And that's what this story reminds us of. Okay, so with that in mind, Hezekiah gets sick, right? We can go back to Isaiah. We're going to have to flip back and forth between those two, so just hold your place in Second Chronicles. We'll just kind of go back and forth. Hezekiah gets sick, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, we're back in Isaiah 38, verse 1. So Isaiah comes and says to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And again, you can just imagine, what on earth? Lord, I've been doing the right thing. I've been... Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight, And Hezekiah wept bitterly. We can relate to Hezekiah, can't we? We can can put ourselves in his sandals for a moment and, and think, you know, that must have been really hard news. Watch this, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this will be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Okay? So Hezekiah gets sick. He prays to the Lord. And God says, I'm going to heal you and I'm going to give you a sign. Do you remember the sign? What's he going to do? Right, right. So we got to, we got to think, we we got to think past, you know, Casio and Timex here for a minute and even the, 
the uh, phone that you have in your pocket. We, we have to think back to the sundial days here to understand this, right? You guys understand how a sundial works? You've seen those before. So in, in ancient days, this is how they kept track of time by using the, the shadow cast on the sundial as the sun would move uh, over the course of a day. And you can see there in the picture that the position of the shadow would give you an approximate time. And of course, as the seasons changed and the arc that the sun would make would change uh, to some degree depending on the time of year. Uh, they had adjustments for that sort of thing. But the point is the shadow was supposed to progress, you know, just like our clock hands progress, right, what we call clockwise. They're not supposed to go counterclockwise. So listen to this sign. Verse 7, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Before it, I will cause the shadow on the stairway which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. You say stairway. Probably what this was, I mean, it could have just been that this is, everybody knew the stairway and everybody knew that, but probably that was some sort of time-keeping device that was used in that day, so it would be like a sundial. And it's going to go backwards. It's going to go counterclockwise instead of clockwise. That's the sign. And uh, so he does that. And then Hezekiah writes this poem. This is really interesting. It's just kind of tucked away here. Verse 9, we won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but Hezekiah recounts uh, his deliverance, his illness, God's work in him. In chapter 38, verse 9, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery, I said, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. See, he was, he was a middle-aged guy, right? He wasn't, you know, elderly yet at this point. I, will de- be de- I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord, the Lord and the land of the living, I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning. Like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I twitter. I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. You know what that tells us? That when Isaiah got sick, he wasn't like, oh no, this is horrible. I better go talk to God about it. This shows you that there was a, a, a season of despair, of discouragement, of questioning. We, we see this sort of thing uh, in some of the Psalms, right? We, we see this in Jeremiah, other prophets but what is he doing he's he's grieving he's mourning he's questioning but what does he do he's moving toward god and that's the key he says lord you be my security you you be the one who helps me you know just a footnote when you're reading the psalms and the psalmist as you're reading it is not in a good place they're depressed they're discouraged they're fearful they're anxious they're they're questioning god they're questioning when you're there what you're supposed to see in the psalms is first of all that's normal that's very normal 
But the second thing you're, you're supposed to see is those psalms are designed to connect with you and then move you in the right direction. There's a way to grieve and question and mourn and be discouraged that moves you away from God. That's not good. But when you cry out to God and grieve to Him and ask for His help and send your questions to Him and cry out to Him, you're moving toward Him in your grief and struggle. That's where you want to be. And I think Hezekiah demonstrates a little bit of that here. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me. He himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and let me live. Remember when he, he goes and he prays. This is a part of his prayer that we get to, to get to read here. Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you, as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. The Lord will surely save me. So we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. What do you notice there, those last couple of verses? What's he saying? Death cannot praise you. Sheol can't thank you. What, what, what's he saying there? He wants to live, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's that's the point. You know, we might read that with with New Testament informed brains and go, "What about the resurrection? What about?" And you realize that Revelation is progressive in the Bible, isn't it? God doesn't tell us everything at one time. So what we know by the time we read the New Testament gives fills in a lot of detail. And one of the things you'll read regularly in the Old Testament is that some of these guys did not have a developed understanding of the resurrection or the afterlife. That doesn't mean it's not real or that's some extra thing. It just means that in the progress of Revelation, they didn't know everything that we now know. But that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, Lord, save me. I want to live. I want to continue to praise you. Okay. Um, anyway, so, so that, that comes to a conclusion. Okay, so we see his writing there. Now, hold your place and go back to Second Chronicles 32 because there's something that we have to see that happens in his prayer and in his healing. Okay, we get another little insight here in Second Chronicles chapter 32. And we'll pick it up in verse 24. Okay, so we, we saw last time he's exalted in the eyes of all the nations because God delivered him from this horrible uh, king called Zanacharib. Verse 24, 2 Chronicles 32, are you there? Verse 24. In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. That was the whole shadow thing, right? Okay. Verse 25. But Hezekiah gave no return... For the benefit he received, why? His heart was proud. All right, everybody loves Hezekiah. Everybody's wanting to, wanting a CNN interview with him, and his heart becomes proud because of his deliverance. 
And so God, he prays to the Lord, God promises healing and gives him a sign, but apparently Hezekiah did not respond to that in humility and trust, at least initially. But he responded in, responded in pride. And, and we, 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 have to, we have to be careful, but could we, could we use our sanctified imagination and just think about that for a minute? When you feel like you've been doing everything right before the Lord, and he brings some hardship and some trial, what are you and I tempted to say to God or think in our hearts in moments like that? That's not fair. Yeah. What's that? I don't deserve this. I know none of you have ever experienced this, but hypothetically, hypothetically, right? What what are we prone to say? It's not fair. I don't deserve this. I've done all these things for you, Lord, right? What's that? Why me? Yeah. You owe me. You know, I, I did the right thing, now God owes me. And that's that, that subtle, subtle, bad theology, right? We do the right thing and God makes our life better. We ever compare ourselves to others? Look at my testimony compared to that guy and he's prospering and I'm, right? He's got good health and I don't. I mean, he's got adult kids that walk with God and I don't. And, right? We, we say things like that. And God takes his supernatural highlighter and he says, you know what that really is? It's pride. So Hezekiah responded in a proud way. Therefore wrath came on him and on Judah and on Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. Now that's hard. What's the wrath that was going to come and then didn't come? And that's really hard to understand in the narrative as we put them together. Maybe maybe it meant that um, you know Assyria would have given authority to overthwart uh, to take over the city. Maybe it has to do with the extension of life, right? That God uh, would give him 15 more years. And Hezekiah, and this is, this is probably what he means, that in Hezekiah's day, uh, Assyria would not ever invade them. The wrath was they might, and the deliverance was they never would. So that maybe that's what it is. We can't be for sure. But d- guys, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. It, it is... It is easy, even when we're doing the right thing, to get a big head, spiritually speaking, about even the the spiritual things that we're doing. And God loves it. You you think of, um, do you think of Paul when you hear this? To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, right? And when he said, I'd really like you to take this away, God said, no, I'm not taking it away. You know, God loves us enough, guys, to bring hardships and sufferings and difficulty 
because he really wants a humble, trusting heart on our part. That's really what he wants. It's, it's not the, the storybook ending deliverances. It's not, you know, yeah, the enemy's back and his kids killed him. Yeah, you, you go. It's not that. It's, it's what we saw. Will you walk humbly with your God and trust him and submit to his ways? Verse 27. Now Hezekiah had immense riches and honor. And he made for himself treasuries for silver and gold and precious stones and spices and shields and all kinds of valuable articles. I guess his house looked like a museum. Storehouses also for the produce of grain and wine and oil, pens for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds for the flocks. He made cities for himself and acquired flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great wealth. And it was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the water of Gihon and directed them to the west side of the city of David. Does anybody know what that's called? Hezekiah's tunnel. Very good. So let me just preview this here, okay? So Hezekiah is building cities. He's collecting stuff. He's buying things. He's acquiring. He's going out and he looks at the, at the cattle pen and he goes, yeah, we can do better than that. So he builds another one. We can do better than that. He builds another one. He just keeps improving the pens. And what do we see? We see in that Hezekiah is setting himself up for spiritual danger, isn't he? So Hezekiah's tunnel, this is really interesting. So this is uh, the old city of Jerusalem. Okay, So you can see kind of the, the temple would be up here. And over here, this is the city of David, which is kind of on the south side. And uh, there's this, there's some pools here, some pools where they would keep water. And this valley right here has a spring that runs down it. And so they took some of the water that was coming here, stopped up the spring and redirected it under the wall of the city, into the city all the way down so that it would, it would fill up these, uh, these water pools, these cisterns, exactly. And what that allowed them to do was to have water while they were protecting the city. They didn't have to go outside the city walls. So for those of you in the cheap seats over here, we got the, the valley right here, the spring. So what they would do is they would they stopped up the water here, dug under the wall, created a tunnel. And this tunnel went all the way down and then it would fill these cisterns here. Uh, and, and this is like the, the old city of David down here. And again, that would allow them then to have water um, really fascinating. Uh, we didn't get to do this, but you can actually walk Hezekiah's tunnel. They're, they're big enough. You can walk through them. And in fact, uh, here's a picture. Next best thing to be in there, I guess. And you can see that this is not a small little aqueduct. I mean, this is a huge thing. And you think in, in that time in history, you didn't just go get your John Deere implements and your, your backhoe and your bulldozer and your whatever else, right? And get in there and Right? I mean, this, this is this is a really an incredible feat of engineering in a day when they didn't have, you know, anything like modern technologies to do so. 
So some really, really neat things. Look at verse 31. Even in the matters of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon who sent to him to inquire of the wonders that had happened to the land, God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Hmm. What's going to happen? He's been delivered. He's gotten prideful. He's acquiring all this stuff, all this property, engineering feats. He's making a name. Everybody wants to come see Hezekiah. They want to hear the story. They want to see the city. They want to walk the all this, right? And God says, we're going to test him. See what's in his heart. And next week, we'll talk about how he does in the test. Okay? We'll just leave a question mark there and we'll think, okay, we ought to guard our hearts against such things. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this incredible deliverance that we see in this story. Lord, thank you that you exalt your name, that your passion is to bring glory to your name and that we might see the greatness of who you are, that there is no God like you, no one who can deliver, no one who can save, provide. And Lord, if a mighty king like Hezekiah can grow proud in his spiritual victories, then we we ought to walk away from this story guarding our own hearts because we can do the same. Lord, we're thankful for the blessings that you show us, blessings of health, blessing of finances, blessing of a wonderful church family, of, of health, of uh, stuff, of comforts. Lord, will you keep us humble? Will you help our hearts to walk with you in, in humility of heart, in dependence on you, that, that even in the ways that you provide, that we would guard our hearts from an arrogance of thinking we deserve these things or that uh, it's owed to us in some way. Lord, give us humble hearts that, that would just simply walk with you. And uh, might we remember Mr. Hezekiah and his testimony, that we might live for your glory in simple, humble humble hearts and, and childlike trust. So thank you for the story. Will you use it, minister to us? In Jesus' name, amen.